Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Hello, everybody. Welcome to City Life. My name's Jerome. The Connect team is passing out a piece of paper, which is yours to take home a little bit of a traditional exercise we do around here that we're going to explain how and why and how this could be helpful in your life. Also, if you're watching and tuning in, there is a link in the comment sections to this PDF. Let's begin. Last week, we looked at who Jesus is based upon what God says about his son after he's baptized. We have this amazing experience where that we get to uh, learn from scriptures that the heavens open and God says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Mic drop. God's beloved son with whom God is well pleased with being Jesus. (laughs) Wow. So if God sent Jesus to pay the penalty and become sin for he who never knew sin on our behalf, when we are in Christ, our position changes because we're clothed by Christ. Therefore, now we understand that we are beloved children as well. Therefore, be loved. We have to receive this love. And if we receive love, how would that transform all of our relationships And how God defines love, not just what we feel or even what we think, but that God is love and that he shows us what love looks like throughout all of the scriptures. So today we continue that to think of our lives in Christ and to give a few maybe one-liners that are only true because of Christ, I believe. You were born an original, don't die a copy. Why? You're made in the image of God. Don't fear being different, fear being the same if you fit in and you're on the wide path that leads to death. And once you find out who you are, you will never want to be someone else. But too often, most of us spend our life wanting to be somebody else. Comparison, when we look to the left or the right, whether it's a race or whatever, now there is a level of we can compliment each other or we can correct each other or that we're used to then edify one another absolutely but when we're comparing ourselves to one another for our worth or identity of who we are therefore we are robbed of all joy and we're stripped of all of our uniqueness in Christ there's only one of you now false confidence is built on us true confidence is built on and in Jesus. This week, you might have saw people on their forehead had some ashes smeared in the shape of a cross, being Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday is a tradition that communicates a biblical truth, a why. But face value, you just see people walking around, you're like, what in the world's going on with your forehead? I didn't know this kind of stuff. So a tradition without the why It's just a hollow display. And hopefully the individual knows, but also the world knows. So may we always know our why. Now, Ash Wednesday's why is this. 
it reminds us that 40 days looking to Easter, we came from dust, we will return to dust. We are mere sinners in need of a savior so that this grieving, ashes and sackcloth, repenting, lamentation would lead to celebration that he lives. Well, now this gives whole new meaning to the tradition because it describes its why, its meaning. Now, this piece of paper is an exercise, you could maybe say, similar to Ash Wednesday. Now, Ash Wednesday's been here a lot longer than this particular exercise here at City Life, but it's a tradition nonetheless. It's not gospel. Ash Wednesday is not gospel. And if we start to then add and think that we can add or take away from the finished work of Christ, no. But by all means, if there's helpful tools and traditions that can, we can remember why, that can sing a song, that who I am in Christ, that's what this is. So this is an identity statement exercise. If you've never uh, been through any type of workshop, maybe today you'll get a little texture and color of how you could make your own personal statement of who you are in Christ. A few disclaimers. Again, this is not gospel. It is not uh, above the Bible. And we are not the great I am. But I think on the spectrum for that, if you're in a, a dogmatic view and always in religious kind of trying to be saved by the model or doing so uh, uh, rigid orthodoxy to say this is exactly how it has to play out, I think we lose uh, the, 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 the wholeness of why Christ came. And we're going to look at a chapter in Luke 15 where Jesus, he's welcoming tax collectors and sinners, which would make us all uncomfortable unless you're a tax collector and a sinner. <laughs> and then the Pharisees are watching and being like, why is this man hanging out with them? So we get the heartbeat of heaven that, that the lamentation of humanity for those that felt m most marginalized and unworthy <laughs> that God would throw a party, a celebration for them. Luke 15, verse 11. He also said a man had two sons. It's a story known as the prodigal son or the lost son. But Tim Keller, he says that this isn't a story about the prodigal son or even the older brother. It's a real story about the good father. It's a story about God and his goodness. But you're going to see two sons that one tries to work and base his effort on works or tradition. And the other son who just knows, wow, I betrayed everything and I'm so unworthy. Watch it. He had two sons. The younger of them said to his father... Father, give me the share of the state I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now, for a son to ask their father in that day and age would be worse than asking for your father to die. Because the father wouldn't give the estate distributions to the children a lot while he's alive. So this would make him a public disgrace throughout the whole town. That his son would even dare ask, let alone that the father says, fine, here you go. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, this is a rap video gone wrong, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, because for sure he can't go home. He spent everything on foolish living. 
which foolish living, insert every sin you can think of. That's exactly what it means. Who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Imagine this. Comes from a place of wealth, now has lived a life of sin, now is doing a job that looks at taking over, uh, taking care of and watch of the pigs, and now is in such a desolate, dark state that just wants to eat and be filled by what the pigs are eating. This is a dark, dark hour. And when we think of, you know, the level of our own state and depravity, the ashes that we all have, apart from Jesus making us new, we're going to see that it's not just God wants to make bad people good, he wants to make dead people alive. Verse 17, I love this. It says, when he came to his senses, because when we're in sin, we're not in our right mind. That's why we, we need today, no matter where you're at, listening, tuning in. God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear. Let me come to my senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up and I'll go to my father. And I say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. I'll, I'll just come back home and I'll, I'll be one of the least here in the family business. Just let me just be in. So he got up and he went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I genuinely believe that's what repentance looks like. That's our part. If we start to say, well, and I know God's gonna forgive me and somebody should forgive me. If you're really grieved by your sin, our part is just say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you, God, period. Clean me, create in me a new heart. This was like David's prayer when he recognized he had sinned against God. And then here's the father's response. This is why it's the good father. But the father told the servants, quick, this is what happens when we repent, quick, bring out the best robe. Think about being clothed in Jesus and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with the feast. <laughs> what a polar opposite response. I might have said, well, let's see if you've really changed by tomorrow. See if you feel this way after a night's sleep. And imagine how the lost son felt to begin to be celebrated, when you know you're wrong, do you feel like heaven should throw a party for you? That's why grace, amen, I don't feel that way. I'm like, I'm wrong, I don't deserve it. How can I earn myself back? Let me start on the low on the totem pole. Let's celebrate with the feast. You can almost hear the music in the background, you know, like, oh, they're just starting to go. Because the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he had been doing the right stuff, all the right stuff, mind you, okay? I, I believe that we can get saved 
with a lost son's story and work ourselves into the older brother's story. And if you've been in church long enough, if you have a testimony like mine, it was a lost son type story, but you can work yourself into the older son story real quick because you start to then see how people are prostituting the grace of God. And we can't forget the beauty of what we get to do anytime we're in the house of God, in the family of God, that we're with God and everything we have, everything that he has is ours always. Anyways, I'm skipping ahead. Let's continue to read it. So he summoned one of his servants questioning the things that were meant. He hears this. The older son hears the music and dancing. Verse 27, your brother is here and he told them your father has slaughtered the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. You would think now the brother's going to say yes. My bro's home. Hallelujah, there's a party. Instead, wants to say this isn't fair. 28, then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. Here's the father again. One looks off and afar with compassion, sees him, best robe, here's a party. Other one, he comes out. And he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. That's a fair critique. If that's a true statement, that's fair. This is goody two-shoes on another level. Like, if this is real, which we have to believe it is because the father's response doesn't even bring that up. Watch. Verse 30, but when this son of yours who's devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him? Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I take us there to begin today, because... When we repent, we're unworthy. We don't deserve to be celebrated. But because of Christ and being clothed in Christ and the Father being good, the Father celebrates us, throws a party for you and me. And that grace isn't cheap. It then puts in proper prioritization in our own heart to know that Oh, I'm so unworthy of this, and if this is how my father would treat me, by all means, now let me fall in line and let me obey. I'm willing to do whatever. If this is the response, if this is what love looks like, that he would cast away my sin. Look at Psalm 103, verse 11. For as as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love towards those who fear him. Father, I've sinned against you. We don't just come into the throne room of God and be like, yeah, yeah, sin, God, see what's up, bro, dude, man. Jesus is my homeboy shirt. Like, God, what's good? I know you throw a party for me. Peace. No. But because of his love and his faithful love, and because of our reverence and fear for God, look at this, verse 12, as as far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us, our sins from us. This is good news. This is the same gospel that saved us is saving us. That's why, oh God, why why do I keep stumbling? Why do I keep wrestling? And today, we hope there would be a, a, a glorious 
flag over any sin, and there would be that funeral that needs to take place, that for all sin, mistakes deserve a quick funeral, but a slow reflection. A quick funeral to say, whoop, we're celebrated. Slow reflection. How in the world did I get there? I wasn't in my right mind. God, teach me, train me. Let me get in a groove. Let me be developed. Let me get in the word. And to get into the word, we're going to go to Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, the chapter is so rich, and to give us a background of uh, of the book of Ephesians, it's written to a church in Ephesus, which was a huge city. It was an epicenter for worship, where most of the Roman and Greek gods, people had been enamored and worshiping for a long time. But Paul was there as a ministry presence, setting up a church there, and then stayed there for two years. And then once Paul is imprisoned by the Roman rule, he writes from prison a letter to the church in Ephesus. And the big idea wants to tackle three things. That one, Christ has reconciled all of creation to himself and God. Two, that Christ has united people from all nations to himself and to one another in his church being the body, us. And that Christians must live as new people. So in other words, don't forget how you've been brought and bought in because of Christ. And for us to be people to know we can't work our way back, we actually are celebrated, and we know our new identity and our nature, then therefore we have to live as new, we get to live as new people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you're still with me, say hello. In the comment, let's get a bunch of hellos. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you, this one thing I love about the New Testament it just constantly beats in our head the same message over and over and over again. For any of us that are like, yeah, 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 I get it, I'm new in Christ. And uh, that's epic. Verse one, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you were once called, following the course of this world, following the, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. How could any of us boast? Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That is humble pie. Very sobering. Before we get to, well, God loves me and I'm a masterpiece of God. and I'm forgiven, I'm chosen. Yeah, remember our condition. We were dead. Unable to get back to God. We were following the evil one, the prince of the power of the air. We were subject to the wrath of God. Like all of mankind that does not repent. This is why, look at verse 4. But God, not but the older brother, not but the lost son, the younger one, not but Jerome, not but you, not but nobody, but God. Being rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in, just to be in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus, the one 
beloved son with whom God loves and is well pleased with, when we put our faith in Jesus, that's us. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not by your own doing. <laughs> you can almost hear the older brother. Because if it was by our own doing, we would maybe give God the credit, but we'd be like, I never disobeyed. I was here. I showed up early. If you only knew, you would reward me. And oftentimes, we don't know if it's in us until we get overlooked, until we feel that we have not been celebrated in the way that we, but if when we understand we have the heart of the Father, we would want people to be celebrated. And the Father gets to decide how and when and, 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 and what he, his measure of mercy has displayed. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is, a, is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 2.10 is where we dive in to the deep end. And we're going to look at it again, this time out of the New Living Translation. And looks how it puts it this way. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It says this, if we read it backwards, that God knew everything I should do. He prepared that way long ago. That I walk in the plans that he prepared for me, that's made possible because I'm new in Christ Jesus. And to understand that I'm in Christ Jesus means that I am God's greatest work he's ever done on this planet. That can almost sound like, Wait, are we worshiping ourselves? No, we're living out this passage. Because from the beginning, it says it this way. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can go do the good things he has planned for us long ago. Now, there might be a handful of people here that would say, I wake up every day and I just feel like the masterpiece of God. But for a lot of us, we don't. We don't. Feel like we need to earn it, do something to deserve it, or we see the, the weight of sin, the weight of the world, the weight of trauma. The word masterpiece in Greek is poema, and it means this, that of which has been made a work, the works of God as creator. It's only used two times in the New Testament, or actually all of Scripture. So here in Ephesians 2.10, but also in Romans 1.20 to describe this, that for his invisible attributes, namely his internal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So the same that way that you would be in awe of God's creation, the Grand Canyon, the stars in the middle of 
the wilderness, being up north or in, insert any place where there's not a city, and you look up, whoa. Or if you've been to Niagara Falls, or if, you, if you've never been to any of these places, you could just Google Earth and see it and think, oh my goodness, God is an amazing creator. Poyama, all of creation, but also Poyama, when you're in Christ Jesus, that's you. You're a masterpiece. I'm a masterpiece. Remember how it said in Ephesians 2, it says that he's made us alive, and it's because of God, and it says his great love that he loved us. He loves us. So therefore, the maker gets to say how and why we are to be used. If you like music, you might follow every once in a while, and you get to learn what was the uh, the, the songwriter's intent for this song. What was the why? And you might learn behind the scenes, or what was the why behind this painting in a museum? And then not only the why, but who did this piece? I must learn about them. Picture for a moment, and you walk into a room, and it's the top uh, artist in the world, highly esteemed, priceless work all the time, and you walk in and you like, oh my goodness, you like, I didn't know you would be here, you know, Picasso or whoever, I'm not that great at knowing who's art, and sometimes you look at it, and you're like, that's art, and maybe, and art is in the eye of the beholder, okay, so, uh, um, but we, remember, at the beginning I said, we, we have a confidence that's not built on us, we have a true confidence that's built on Christ, so to walk into that room and go up to the artist and say, what are you working on? And then turn the painting and realize the painting is you. And to have that realization, oh, I'm priceless. That's our position in Christ. Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. Check this little video out from The One Project, and I'm going to read out of the lookbook here in just a moment as well. For some of the shoe collectors out there, they know what it's like to find a rare find, a limited edition, a shoe release, and, and how that's more valuable. Or walking through an art museum and you can see different art pieces. Sometimes it's hard to understand those art pieces and we look at them, but those art pieces, they're worth more when they are the original. And when there's a reprint, you'll see in the bottom one of or number 33 of 100 and they will be listed. But I'm here to tell you right now, and I want you to hear this, that you are one of one. You might say, well, I don't feel rare. I don't feel a limited edition. I look at my art piece sometimes and I don't understand it. I'm confused. Look, the maker of heaven made you. You're his masterpiece. It is awesome. The best rare find there is. And on the corner of our canvas, our art piece is one of one. Will you pray this right now and ask the maker of the universe, what's the one word you're speaking over me right now? God, what one word do you speak over me? I am one of one right now. I heard love. That's all over my canvas. Look, you were born an original, one of one. Remember that always. You're the best rare find this world has ever seen. So identity. 
If we are in Christ Jesus, created anew, we're brand new, and we are God's workmanship, or another way to put that, a masterpiece, we're understanding the fact of who we are, what a person is, desiring God, put, us, put it this way, with identity in Christ. It's defined in terms of what God does to us and the relationship he creates with us and the destiny he appoints for us. God made us who we are so we could make known who he is. That's why we never take the glory. Our identity is for the sake of making known his identity. Christian rapper, or CHH, or maybe he wouldn't want to go by it, but regardless, the artist, Andy Minio, he has a hook, and I, I love these words. It says this, some call it cocky. I just know God got me. You can tell someone who believes they're loved by God. They're a masterpiece of God. We need some tools or traditions to be on the offense, to rewire our brain. When we get online and the first thing we do is look at our phone and it informs us of who we are, we're just seeing the gap. Fear sells, y'all, and so does wanting more. It sells, y'all. It is not who we are. And who we are, there could be many different things listed here, and you can customize this as you see fit. I'm going to give you a few examples in just a moment. And our goal is not to watch how we use this. Our goal is to say, be you. You're a masterpiece. Be you and learn how you can use this. And these I am statements to form who I am and the great I am and to rewire my day to day to inform me and shape me and form me. And that even in our name, like most of us, we've never even Googled our name and let, hey God, what do you, what is my name meaning in you? And give us a few biblical examples of name meaning. You know, Joseph, uh, He's sold into slavery, well, left for dead initially, and then sold into slavery uh, by his own brothers. So you could imagine the pain he has from that. Then he is in jail for not doing anything wrong. And uh, he's framed, and that's a, another sermon another day. But after he's finally can interpret dreams, he's let out. And then he's now in the top of the palace where he is getting... Um, the ability to rule and reign, and then he has two children, and he has two children, and their names are Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh means this, forget all of my hardship, so just forget Manasseh. And then Ephraim means this, fruitful. So all the days of Manasseh's life could be used in a way like, oh, I'm here to help you forget what was in the pain. He'd say, well, you're taking it too far. Are you sure? Maybe you're not going far enough. That's why, you know, Jesus, when he goes to Peter, he says, Simon, but he says, hey, Peter, Peter doesn't feel like a rock. He feels unworthy. He denied Jesus three times. He doesn't deserve to be celebrated. He has no ability to love like God. And he says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And finally gets to a point where it's just, it's written different in Greek where he can't agape love like God. He can brotherly love. He can phileo. He can go out and love somebody. I, I, I'm just a human here. God, if you'd want to use me. And he calls him Peter, rock on which I will build my church. But Peter's not the rock. Jesus is the rock. But Peter can know every day, oh, look, look, when I'm walking in my new nature, I remember the rock that gave his life for me, and now I can walk this out. So you might say, oh, this feels too ethereal. I think that this puts us on the offense like nothing else can. So I want to read just a, a, a page here, and I want to invite 
um, the Veerling kids and our family to come on up on stage while I do this. So come on up. Yes. Look at them. All right, age order. You guys come on up here. Yeah, yeah, just stand up so we can all see you. And Crystal, you'll be first, so you'll pass it down. All right, so age order. So you'll, you'll be here then. There we go. There we go. In a, in a line. Show me, show me, get a line. Look at this. On stage, there's lines. So Crystal's, yep. <laughs> Look at that. All right. But you're not defined by whether you're in line, but hopefully we're going to realize that because you're defined by Jesus, you want to fall in line. Check this out. This is from the lookbook of the One Project. When you look closely, when you look at yourself and look in the mirror, what do you see? Of course you see yourself. But are you excited what you see? Do you believe that you're worthy and worth everything? Do you see the image of God, the fingerprints of heaven, royalty, that you're a king's kid, a child of God? Or do you see somebody who's been bogged down, beaten down, hurt, crushed by the world? The story that we're not enough constantly feeds us with fears, lies, doubt, shame, comparison. The insecurities rising up to the surface. But if we look past the residue of darkness and we unlock the light from within, what do you see now? Someone who is made by God, a child of God, set free to be me. He calls us by name. He looks straight into the depths of our soul, sees those eyes, see yourself, look into the mirror, face to face with ourselves and God, free to be me. I am free to be me, limited edition, unique, one of one, made differently than anybody else who has ever existed. Who I am is defined by whose I am. And if God says yes, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. I am an original, I don't need to copy. Unlocking more of how the maker made me, I am loved, I belong, and I have purpose. When I see me, I see a masterpiece. There is no shame, I'm face to face in the most holy place. I'm secure, I'm whole, I'm more than enough. This is so amazing. When I look into my eyes, I see the handiwork of God. I am free to be me because of Jesus. So the sheet you got at the beginning of service or online is a form of crafting a tradition of an identity statement. And it has some things that you can claim to be true and you can customize it as you see fit. And you can take this home later. And we're gonna show you an example of how we use this as a family to call our spirit to attention first individually, because many times we don't feel this, but it calibrates our soul and it reminds us first who I am and then I go out to do the works that God has prepared in advance for me. Crystal. I am Crystal Monique, a clear, wise advisor, humble and grateful and thankful for the cross, saved by grace, a servant first to serve the king and his people. Jerome and I are extraordinary together rather than ordinary alone. We lead through our marriage. Our kids will do more than we can dream or imagine. We pray our ceiling will be their floor. Together we are loving the city one life at a time and not stopping till he makes all things new. 
I am Jerome Cyrus. I am a sacred sun to shine the light to the true sun. I am a leader of people to help find the sun. I love my city, my friends, and my family. I lead by example, a servant leader. I am loved, belong, and have purpose on this earth. I follow my Savior and am forgiven of my sins. I walk the path of Christ the best I can. When I fall, I get up. I stick up for the one I fight to protect. I am brave. I won't stop till it is over. I am the one God chose. I am Justice Edward Reerling. I'm an upright, rich guardian. I'm one of one. I'm the best of the best. I'm a follower of God. I belong. I'm here for a reason. I'm the father's child. I am one of one. My name is Giselle Grace. I pledge grace. I am one of one. God loves me. I am a Jesus girl and a daddy's girl. I light up the room. I love my family and friends. I am a leader, not a follower. I am the king of love. I am loved. I am loved to love. I have a purpose in this world. I am for God and Jesus. I am. <coughs> I love my family. I have. My name is Kingston Love Yelling. I am Neo Truth. I am a gift to God. I am a gift to the world. I am a powerhouse for truth. I have a purpose here. I belong everywhere I go. I will not stop till it is done. I am the new new. Hey, and then um, I forgot an age order. Sacred Jerome, I love you. Tetelestai. Crystal and I are one. We move at her pace. Our kids are our land and we tend to it, taste and see. They will do more than we dream. I humble myself before you, God. You guys may be seated. You probably have culture at your work. You probably have culture um, at your home. And you can customize and incorporate this culture in your life if you want. It's just a tradition. And an exercise that has been helpful for our life for many, many years. And though as parents, of course, we have helped uh, invite our kids into that journey and, and crafted some beginning statements for them, they started just customizing it on their own. And trust me, it's not glamorous when we do all these things at home trying to get seven of us to, hey, what do you think Holy Spirit's saying? What do you, how does this verse mean to you? How can you apply it? What's your name meaning? Um, but over time... They, they, have, they have shaped that themselves in spending time with God. And then they can bounce it off of us and we can bounce it off the word and say, hmm, is that in line? And this is a great tool and tradition that we hope that you would take home and you would uh, maybe adopt for yourself. And we gave a framework because I think a lot of times when we um, hear somebody else go, you think, oh, that's so good. Mine's not good enough. This happens all the time. We just did it with the interns this week. And... <laughs> It just, and we've warned them like 10 times, okay? Do not compare yourself to someone else's identity statement. But as soon as people started hearing others go, there were just little disclaimers that happened so ever so quickly. Oh, mine's too long, or mine's not as long as, or mine's shorter. I didn't know what to say fully. It's like, no, there's no wrong answer. We can stumble and fumble together, and this is a safe space. And what's so cool about this for the body of Christ, if you hear another thing somebody else says, you can actually grab that and say, that's for me too. You know? 
Now, if, you, and if you're super creative in a way where God, you're like a poet, well, of course you're going to start to have some very unique language. But this is reminding us when we come into Jesus Christ, we are made anew. We're daughters and sons of God. <laughs> We're chosen. We're masterpiece. I am Jerome. I didn't even know my name meaning. You look it up, super simple. It just says sacred. And then you can write down your own name meaning. God, hey, what, what does my name mean? I, if you've been around me, I like to do this a lot. I'll be like, what's your middle name? And people shriek. Because like, ah. most people are uncomfortable. They, many don't have a middle name. But for those that have a middle name, the, the, no one says it with their chest. It's very rare. And it's like, wait. No, what, what's your middle name mean too? And through this, we've watched people start to embrace their full name. Start to not go by their nickname anymore, but go by their actual name. It's really powerful. And then we start to then say, okay, God's created me to do good works that God has prepared for me. You might write some custom language and you can obviously then use your own journal. And then humble myself before God. It's a posture of me. And then if you're single, you can write down your, you're married to Christ and what that means to inform your day to day. And if you're married, that you're one with your partner. If you have children, you can write down what, how that looks to inform and then, and then you go out as you have purpose in all that you do because you're called to serve and that you look forward to your forever home and you won't stop until Jesus returns and he makes all things new. So this is yours to craft as you see fit. We close with three truths before we sing. The master made you. And the master only makes masterpieces. It's just what he does. And you are one of one because of that. A priceless masterpiece. Um, before the worship team sings... Whatever you feel here in this message, you might feel excited because you, you're oh, just in a season where you know more than ever you're a masterpiece to God. But I would dare venture a bulk of the room doesn't feel that way. God doesn't want to shame your feelings. He wants to speak truth to your feelings and serve in those places. And you can be open and say, God, I, I don't feel like a masterpiece. Or you could be here and say, I'm dead in sin. <laughs> I trust the only gift that God gave. I receive Jesus, the grace of God by faith. And like ashes and sackcloth, repent. And then heaven makes you anew and throws a party for you to then retrain you of your true nature. That the old master, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of darkness is no longer the one we follow. We follow God. We follow Jesus. And we're informed by the scriptures. So may this song just sing over us a truth that we are chosen in this place. And may it go in our soul to calibrate us so that we can go into this week 
And I also sense that your phone is a death portal. And I don't know who that's for, but it's a death portal. Put it in its appropriate place. It needs to be dead to sin. It's a death portal. Don't open it up the same. Delete some apps. Do some things because masterpieces, they flow differently. So don't just get right on. Maybe get, in the, get a physical Bible and read it that way. Let's sing and let's worship and let's receive who God says we are. Jesus.
I just keep getting a, like a visual of someone dating, looking for love and affirmation from someone else first and how that can lead to so much toxic activity and destruction. Because anytime we work the equation the other way, whether it's in our workplace, in our home, in a relationship, in our friendships, for them to define us and show us our worth. Now, in a perfect world, everyone would be calling out the identity of who we are in God, absolutely. But so many of the systems we're in, they're built on the wrong kingdom. And if we let the kingdom of God inform us in our position in Jesus Christ, that we're created anew, we're brand new, then that we're masterpieces, that God has called and set out into this world to do good works, not defined by our good works, but yet doing good work to glorify our Father in heaven to show who God is and that Jesus' good work, finished work on the cross allowed us to begin to get to work. So I pray that today this would shape and inform and change looking for love and looking for worth and looking for approval in all the wrong places. The starting line is with God. And if God made you and God says you're a masterpiece and you're in Jesus, then receive that. And if you're not in Jesus yet, I pray that you would repent, that lamentations would lead to a celebration because God won't cast you out, but we gotta come to him and say, Father, I've sinned against you, forgive me. And he will make you brand new. We'd love to be on this journey with you. There's groups that you can get in. You can connect further online or you can connect in the hallway at the Connect Center. We long to see people connect to God and each other. It's a story of a vertical relationship and also horizontal one. So don't delay. Connect with somebody, connect online. Let's not do life alone. We'll see you next week. We're gonna continue the B series as we're looking forward to Easter. He lives, oh death, where's your sting? 10 a.m. and 11.30, all races, all faces, and all ages, you belong here. We're gonna keep loving this city one life at a time, and we won't stop until Jesus returns and makes all things new. Have the best day of your lives.